Good morning, church family. Good morning. How's it going out there? Excellent. Love having Pastor Wilfred and Vanna with us. So glad to have you with us. Love you guys. And I'll love to hear the glimpses of what God is doing there. Um, and Pastor Wilfred's not the only one that wants some of you to move to Uganda. Don't take that wrong. <laughs> no, I, I, I'm, I'm joking, but I'm serious. That, that at Faith Church, we know that every follower of Jesus is a spirit-empowered minister of the gospel, and all of us uh, have uh, work for God to do, and, and, and many of us, uh, all of us, are called to minister to and proclaim the good news of Jesus to those around us, those that we ha- are already in relationship with, and God will prompt some of you, as you grow in Christ, to the far reaches of the world, to Uganda, to teach, to share the gospel, and so it's exciting. So I love that you invite people to join, because I want the Spirit to move you and for each of you to obey Jesus uh, whenever and wherever that he calls you. Does that sound good? Uh, And fun to see Pastor Aaron uh, on Price is Right. Uh, I love that, uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure I know when the taping was, and I lo- my favorite thing is that he gave a shout out to Faith Church and said nothing about his current church. <laughs> so next time I see him, I will be talking with him about that. That was outstanding. That was the first thing I noticed. Uh, my name is Derek. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, I have been gone a couple of Sundays. You may or may not have noticed or cared. Uh, I was not... I <laughs> I was not at Prices Right, um, although I wish I was. Um, uh, the last couple Sundays, uh, while I was working during the week, the past couple of weeks, and uh, and continuing to lead and prepare and 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 uh, serve our church family, uh, we did. My family and I did have the opportunity the last two weekends to turn some small uh, regional trips into little family getaways, and so. Uh, that was really good. Good to have time together, go to some places we hadn't yet seen, make some memories as a family. Um, so uh, really appreciated that uh, much uh, needed opportunity to get away. And, um, and uh, thankful for your continued support and prayers. Those are still needed in our ups and downs. Uh, but I can't tell you, I, I've, hopefully I've expressed before, but can't tell you how thankful I am for God's love to us, to my, church, my family and I, uh, through our church family, through you. And uh, so thanks for all the love that you've shown to us through your understanding and support and, um, and prayers. And so many of you have said that you're praying, and I often try to respond that that is no small thing. Sometimes I know you feel like, what else can we do? What, you know, what is there? And, and we, we feel that, and, uh, and we love and appreciate your prayers. And that is no small thing, because there is a spiritual battle, and we all... Uh, are in the midst of, of, um, of a broken and fallen world with ramifications and consequences of sin. And uh, let's cling to the Lord in the middle of it, right? Uh, so I'm glad, I'm glad to be back uh, with you th- this morning. And I'm glad to be back, especially because we are kicking off uh, a new teaching series this morning. You just saw the video. Our new teaching series is called I Am. It's Jesus in his own words. And we're going we're gonna to consider these statements throughout the Gospel of John. Uh, John is a book in your Bible written by uh, the Apostle John, and it's a, it's a, it's a glimpse of Jesus' life. And there are several statements in the Gospel of John where Jesus says, I am such and such. And so we're going to take the next few weeks to take a look at those. And these are the few weeks leading up to Easter. My prayer is that these will prepare us 
for the celebration of his glorious resurrection as we study these weeks who Jesus is, who he says he is. And I also think not only for us to grow in our understanding of Jesus, but it's also a great opportunity in these next few weeks, bring someone with you to Faith Church next Sunday. Who can you invite? Who might God be working in their heart uh, that we would want them to hear about who Jesus says he is and for them to be prepared to celebrate Easter with us as well. So be thinking, be praying, be inviting. And uh, right now, pull out your Bibles if you haven't already and open to John chapter 8. We at Faith Church study God's word. We hear from God through his word. So I would love you to bring your Bibles. And uh, now we're going to open to John chapter 8. And in a a a couple of minutes, we'll start at verse 48. So while you turn there, though, before we look at that passage in John, I want to start with something different. Can you imagine? Can you imagine this? There he was, keeping the flock, minding his own business, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. Are you with me? Put yourself in this true story. Imagine yourself. Can you imagine the situation? You're keeping the flock, minding your own business. And there's a flame of fire in the middle of a bush. And he looked, the man looked, and behold, the bush was burning, but it was not consumed. Put yourself here. Imagine the situation. And when the Lord saw that the man had stopped to see this, he was walking by and he sees this bush and it's on fire and yet it's not burning. It's burning, but it's not burning. And he's perplexed and he's amazed. And so he stops to take it in. The Lord notices, the Lord saw that he stopped to see, and God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Then God said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place which you are standing is holy ground. And God said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Some of you recognize this story, this true story from God's word is found in Exodus chapter 3. And you might be wondering, wait a second, I thought this teaching series was Jesus in his own words. Why are we in the Old Testament? Testament. Yeah, Yeah, thank you. Everybody say, Derek, why are we in the Old Testament? Don't interrupt me, I'm preaching. Don't interrupt me. Just kidding. No, hang in there and you'll see. It'll connect. A few verses later, Moses, observing this incredible sight, this burning bush, a few verses later, God says to Moses, Come, I will send you, Moses, to Pharaoh, so that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. In other words, God comes to Moses in this burning bush, and he gets his attention, and he calls his name, and then he says to Moses, I have a job for you, a mission for you. I am going to use you to rescue God's people. Verse 11, Moses says to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh And bring the children of Israel out of Egypt. And then later in verse 13, Moses says to God, Okay, if I come to the people of Israel and I say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, What is his name? 
what shall I say to them? So, I mean, imagine, again, put yourself in this situation. You're walking by. There's a burning bush. It's not burning. It's burning, but it's not burning. It's very crazy. There's a voice of God talking to you. He says he's got a job for you to do. And you go, ah, me? Nah, not sure. Okay, maybe if I go to the people and I say, uh, God told me to talk to you. And they say, well, who? What's his name? What do I tell them? Moses wants to know. Well, what do I say to them? If they want to know God's name, verse 14, Exodus 3, 14, God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Father God, we lift our eyes this morning and we look to you as the great I am, the only true God, the one true God. God, we come before you. We put ourselves in your presence this morning. We lift our eyes to you. We look to you, hear from you through your word this morning. God, would you put us in our place this morning as we recognize you as the great I am? Would you help us to know who we are in relation to you? Would you help us to know why we are in this room this morning? God, I pray that we would not come to this room on Sundays for our own purposes or our own, uh, what we have in mind. But God, recognizing you as the great I am, I pray that you would help us to gather together as a church family because we have opportunity to worship you in your greatness. God, would you help us to gather, to give, to serve, to celebrate the good news of Jesus would you help us, God, to be giving and generous and, and, and outward thinking, not for our glory, but for your glory, the one true God, Yahweh, I am. We look to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so now we're in John chapter 8. So if you've got your Bible, and follow along with me this morning, keep your finger in God's word. I'll, I'll read a little bit, we'll talk about it, I'll read a little bit more, we'll talk about it. So just keep your finger in the text and we hear from God through his word. John chapter 8, verse 48. The Jews answered Jesus, and in particular here, who is it talking about? The Jews mentioned in this passage are actually kind of adversaries, opponents of Jesus. They're hassling Jesus. They, they're not sure why he's there, what his ministry is all about. They're, they're, their own kind of livelihood is, in, is impinged, is, in, is affected by his ministry, and so maybe their toes are getting a little stepped on. And so the Jews answered him, verse 48, are we not right in saying that you, Jesus, are a Samaritan and have a demon? In their, in their opposition to Jesus, they are accusing and insulting him with, with these things that are untrue, being a Samaritan and being demon-possessed. Verse 49, Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father, and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory, there is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Verse 51, Jesus. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Everyone say, he will never see death. Yeah. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, what? He will never see death. He will never see death. 
if anyone keeps my word, it says in verse 51, whoever receives the message of Jesus, whoever believes him, believes that he is who he says he is, that he's come to be our rescuer, whoever receives Jesus, whoever believes in him, whoever lives for him, whoever follows, whoever obeys his word, what will be true? What is their, and what is their response to this incredible claim? No, not claim. What is their response to this incredible truth that in Christ they will never see death? Verse 52, what's their response? The Jews said to him, now we know you have a demon. That's their sad response, is mocking. Mocking his promise. Disbelieving his promise that in, that in him we would not see death. Do we, do we mock Jesus' promises, if not outright, by, by our disbelieving hearts or by not living in the truth or the ramifications or the implications of those promises? Let's not respond to the promises of Jesus in mockery as they do here in verse 52. The Jews said to him, now we know you have a demon. And they continued, Abraham died. This, 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 this uh, past leader of God's people, this very, Abraham's this very famous uh, father of God's people, uh, a leader of God's people. He had lived 2,000 years previous, and now in verse 52, Jesus' adversaries are saying, hey, Abraham died, as did these other prophets. Yet you say, if anyone keeps your word, he will never taste death. They're going, what? So what's up? People that love you and have known you and followed you, they've died. Verse 53, so they say to Jesus, are you greater than our father Abraham who died and the prophets who died? Who do you make yourself out to be? They say to Jesus, who do you make yourself out to be? And the answer to this question, the answer that we're going to get to this question, who does Jesus make himself out to be? The answer that we're going to get to this question this morning and in the coming weeks is amazing. The answer to this question of who Jesus says he is, is breathtaking. And we've got to consider it. And I hope that considering it brings us to marvel at it. The answer to this question, who do you make yourself out to be? The answer to this question will eventually get Jesus killed for blasphemy. What's blasphemy? Someone that's claiming to be God. Someone that's claiming falsely acting like, speaking as if they are God. That would be blasphemy. And, and we need to realize this morning that the same question that, that, that his opponents in this passage are, answer, are asking, who is it you make yourself out to be? Who, who do you think you are, Jesus? The, the answer, uh, we need to, we need to <sighs> try again. We face the same question. Is he a blasphemer? Or is he truly God. The people posing these questions are facing that question. We face that same choice. Either Jesus is a blasphemer or he is God. Verse 54. Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me. Of whom you say, he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham 
rejoiced. This is Jesus speaking to his opponents about Abraham, a man of God who lived a couple thousand years previously. Verse 56, your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw my day. He saw my life and was glad. How, this is incredible what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, Abraham saw my day, my ministry. Abraham knew that there would be a time when I would be alive and reigning. He knew it would be my time. He knew it would be a day of my rule and my glory. Abraham saw it and Abraham rejoiced. And his listeners are going, huh? If he's saying Abraham knew him and he knew Abraham, what's going on here? Verse 57. So they continued. So his listeners pressed on, continued on, poking at Jesus. Verse 57. So the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old, and you have seen Abraham? In other words, you know, this is an understandable response. Jesus, flesh and bone, human being, approximately 30 years old, standing in front of them, talking about someone he knows and who knew him, who lived 2,000 years ago. You're not 50 years old. You've seen Abraham? No way. Jesus' answer is verse 58. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Don't miss it. This is, this is the gospel writer taking us right back to Exodus 3.14. This is the gospel writer taking us right back to imagining the bush that's burning, that's not burning, and that God's voice is coming out of, and God himself speaking, and, and Moses asking, who are you, God? What's your name? And, and in Exodus 3.14, God's answer is, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. Don't miss it. Back in our passage in John, by Jesus saying, before Abraham was, I am. He's taking us to the burning bush. This is the clearest, uh, the most forthright claim in John's gospel that Jesus is Yahweh. That Jesus is one and the same, the God of Israel, the great I am. And his opponent's response in verse 59 show us, confirm this. Their response in verse 59 is to pick up stones and stone him and kill him as a blasphemer. So, so clearly, Jesus' words in verse 58, before Abraham was, I am. Clearly, they heard that, received that as blasphemy. They knew that by saying, before Abraham was, I am. They knew that by him saying that, he was claiming to be God, and they picked up stones to stone him. But the end of verse 59 says, Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. He could have done, he could have chosen some different words, couldn't he have? Jesus could have said that a little differently. Maybe he could have tried this one. This would have been interesting and humorous in its own right. He could have said, before Abraham was, I was too. I'm, so he could have been, I'm 2,000 plus years old, basically is what he's saying there. If he used that language, he, it'd still be a weird claim, but he'd be saying, yeah, I know Abraham, Abraham knows me because I'm, I'm 2,000 years old. No, he uses the present tense and says, before Abraham was, I am. 
And this is very intentional language. This is Jesus saying that he is eternal. This is Jesus saying that he is outside of time. This is the Jesus who was and is and is to come. He transcends time. And by saying I am, that's a statement that only who could make? God. That's a statement only true of God. And the implications of Jesus' fully God, fully man identity, the implications are staggering here. The implications are many. This I am statement, before Abraham was, I am. The implications of this statement are incredible. And here's one of them. Because Jesus is God, his work on the cross and his word of promise will be totally successful. Are you tracking with that? One of the implications of Jesus being I am, the fact that yes, he was standing there in front of them, a human being, and yet fully human, yet he was fully God. The implications of him proclaiming himself to be one and the same as Yahweh, the true and only God of the Bible. The implications are that because he is God, his work on the cross that was still to come would be successful to rescue us from sin and death. And the implications of Jesus being the great I am is that his words of promise, his, his promises, his words will happen. They will be true. They will be accomplished. Because Jesus says, when Jesus says, you will never see death. Guess what? You will never see death. <laughs> God has spoken. His word never fails. Yahweh promises this in Isaiah 46.10. It's on the screen. Isaiah 46.10. Yahweh, God speaking, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. That's the way it is with God, isn't it? That what God says goes? That what he wants to accomplish is accomplished? Amen? That's the way it is with God. He speaks and it is. And since Jesus is God, when Jesus promises in verse 51, truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. He means what he says. You, in Jesus, will never see death. But do we believe it? Or at least do we live as if we believe it? Do we live lives boldly and courageously, trusting our, 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 our comfort and presence with Jesus? Or do we have earthly concerns and worries and time constraints and pressures and sins and things that take us away from that? This is interesting. Let's look at Hebrews 2.15 on the screen. In Hebrews, it says this, that through his death, through his life, death, and resurrection, Jesus could deliver people, could rescue people who, through fear of death, were subject to slavery. The writer of Hebrews here is saying that the whole human race is subject to slavery, to being enslaved, to being in bondage. By what? Through the fear of what? Through the fear of death. The writer of Hebrews is saying that the whole human race is subject to this slavery through the fear of death. And so this week, one of the things that we're gonna, you're going to have a chance to discuss in your groups is your approach, your perspective on death. As you look forward toward the end of earthly life, as you think about that, or if you encounter that in someone around you, what is your perspective on death? What is your approach to death? And I, I talk about these groups because 
Uh, many of you are connected to smaller groups of people in our church family, and that's what we want. We love that we gather together on Sunday mornings as a large group to celebrate the good news of Jesus together. But we also want each of you to be connected to a part of the church, a smaller group, a, people, a group of people that can know you and you can know them and live life and care for one another and share a meal together and, and point each other to Jesus. And so in your groups this week, uh, that's going to be one of the things you'll talk about is what, what is our thinking about death? And is there a fear there if we're honest with ourselves? And that's okay. And, and, and what does that fear of death cause in us? What kind of ramifications, consequences in our daily living does it have? Let me suggest this. John Piper writes this about the fear of death. The fear of death produces a pervasive, listen carefully, this is interesting stuff. The fear of death produces a pervasive, lifelong bondage. There's that slavery we were talking about. Even when we don't realize it, fear is haunting our choices, making us cautious, wary, restrained, confined, narrow, tight, robbing us of risk and adventure and dreams for the sake of Jesus and his kingdom and his love being proclaimed to others. Without our even knowing it, fear of death is a slave master binding us with invisible ropes, confining us to small, safe, innocuous, self-centered ways of life. What's the solution for that slavery? What's the solution for a life constrained and, and cautious and wary and, and, and robbed of risk for the sake of Jesus. What's the, what's the solution for that bondage? The church answer is Jesus and his words in verse 51. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, what? One more time. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, what? The answer to the solution to the bondage of a life crippled by the fear of death, the answer, the solution, the remedy is Jesus. The answer that Jesus gives is that he is the great I am from all eternity and that he became a human so that he could live the life that you and I cannot live, so that he could die the death that you and I deserve, so that he could be raised to new life, conquering sin and death and showing us that life for us is available too that we too can be friends with God, that we can be adopted into God's family. The solution for the bondage of a life crippled, narrow, confined, restrained, not living for Jesus, the, 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 the solution for a life of small, safe, safe, innocuous, and self-centered, the solution is Jesus. And in this way, following Jesus, living for Jesus, frees us from the lifelong bondage of the fear of death. And the world desperately needs the courage and the Christ of fearless Christians. This will be on the screen. The world desperately needs the courage and the Christ of fearless Christians who know they will never taste death. Because wouldn't that change everything? Wouldn't that change the way we live, the way we approach life, the way we interact with people, the way we act and say that the world desperately needs the courage of Christians who know they'll never taste death. So, friends, church family, 
Be one of those. Be a Christian who doesn't, ta- who doesn't fear uh, death because of Christ so that we can live courageously for him. Back in our passage in John chapter 8, verse 58, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. John 8, 58, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Because Jesus is the eternal Christ, because Jesus shares in everlasting life with God the Father, because Jesus is the changeless Lord who towers over history, because Jesus is master of time and ruler of the ages, because Jesus is undiminished, unaffected by the passage of time, guess what? You and I don't have to worry about time. We don't have to control time. We don't have to think there's too little time. We don't have to think I've got too much time. We don't have to try to control the way our lives proceed and the way events unravel and the way things, the way people around us do things that they do and where they go and what they say. Jesus is the great I am. He is outside of time. He is beyond time. He is unaffected by the passing of the centuries. And so we don't have to frantically try to hold back the hands of time. We don't have to fear or worry that time is going to get away from us somehow. Because, friends, Jesus is, Jesus was, and Jesus always will be. And because Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever Because that is true, we can entrust ourselves to him. We can find peace in him. We can find permanence in him where life on earth and and time seems to get away and it's fleeting and we want to control and we want to be masters of our own destiny. Instead, we can entrust ourselves to him and find rest and peace and permanence. The good news of the Bible, the gospel is that God rescues sinners through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. The good news is that sinners like you and I, rebelling against God, going against God, falling short of his standards, falling short of his glory, the good news is that God rescues sinners like you and I through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And it's because Jesus lived because Jesus died for us, because he was raised again and conquered sin and death, we can find meaning, real, meaningful, rich, abundant, full life now and life eternal with him. Father God, again, we lift our eyes to you and we look to you, the great I am. And God, as we continue worshiping together this morning, as we continue to make sure that this morning and that our church family and that our individual lives as Christians are all about you, God, as we lift our eyes to you and we want to recognize that it's not about what we do, it's about what you have already done through Christ. God, we thank you for sending your son, the one who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God, would we lean into that? Would you help us to... Um, lean into that, to entrust ourselves to Jesus in a new way this morning, in a fresh way, trusting him more, giving him all aspects of our life, knowing that while we try to control and while we have wishes and while we fear death and while we are not sure about the passage of time, you are good and you are with us and you are God. God, we want you to work in our lives in such a way 
that the world, that our, that our spheres of influence, that our friends, that our coworkers, that our fellow students, that, that, the, that the city of Dallas, that Polk County, that Oregon would, would experience the glory of Jesus through our courage. God, we know that the world needs the courage of Christians who know they will never taste death. And so God, would you help us, even if we have an earthly understanding of death and an understandable fear of death, would you help us to cling to you and the reality that in you, we will not face death. And would that give us an, a boldness and a courage to live for you in all we do? So God, as we continue to worship this morning by lifting our voices and giving our gifts and saying our prayers and reading your word, we look to you. We look to your son. We look to Jesus who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, knowing that because Jesus is God, his work on the cross was successful. It accomplished its purpose. His life, death, and resurrection forgives our sin, rescues us from sin and death, and gives us new life with him. God, help us to learn to give ourselves to you, to rest in you, to find permanence and meaning and real life because of you. We pray this in the name of Jesus, who before Abraham was, I am. Amen.